Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea, and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis, from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. You know that saying, if you love something, set it free? Okay, as cliche as it may sound, there is a tremendous amount of truth to it. And we are going to talk about that truth in this episode, which is all about love. As we take this next step, we enter into the pink ray of, yep, you guessed it, love. Think of every step we take on our evolutionary quest as one ray of a rainbow. So far along this evolutionary quest, we have journeyed through sacred space, grace, freedom, sovereignty, ecstasy, and now we arrive at love. I have been excited for months to create this episode because I get to tell and talk about one of my favorite myths of all time, the story of Isis and Osiris. This is more than a story or myth. This is an Egyptian epic with so many offshoots and tangents and different versions told and retold. It was actually a bit of a challenge to condense it into a narrative for this episode. The story of Isis and Osiris is really about the great unifying love of opposites. We can see this theme in the mythic love stories between the gods and the goddesses of all different cultural traditions. Love is that great cosmic force that compels us back into wholeness with the different parts of who we are, body and soul spirit and matter, feminine and masculine, light and dark. We want to be whole. We are meant to be whole. And so why does love also require us to let go and set what we love free? To answer that question, let's dive right into our story. First, a book recommendation There are countless versions of this story you can read, but my favorite and the most thorough and complete I have found is in The Passion of Isis and Osiris, A Gateway to Transcendent Love by Jean Houston. I had to summarize quite a bit in this version I'm about to tell. If you want all the juicy details, get that book. Okay, let's begin. Once upon a time, aeons upon aeons ago, the goddess of the stars and sky, Newt, and the goddess of the earth, Jeb, gave birth to five children, gods and goddesses in their own right, who were destined to walk the earth. 
just as the eternal love between Newt and Jeb bridged heaven and earth in a constant, holy embrace. So would these five children deliver their parents' cosmic and earthly love to all of earth's beings, humans, and creatures. There was Osiris, Father God, peacemaker, and benevolent teacher. There was Isis, Mother Goddess, Creator, bringer of health and abundance. How great was their love! Isis and Osiris were destined to lead Egypt together into a new age of innovation and prosperity. There was also Set, trickster, warrior, and rebel god. There was Nephthys, goddess of the shadows, intuition, and the dream realms. Set and Nephthys were also destined for one another, but their union was fraught with conflict and secrecy. And finally, there was Horus, who took off as a falcon and never touched earth. His was a destiny to be twice born, once of heaven and a second time of earth. Set and Nephthys ruled over the deserts of Upper Egypt and were the leaders amongst the hunter-gatherer tribes, while Isis and Osiris ruled over Lower Egypt in the fertile Nile Delta and taught the agrarian Egyptians agriculture and animal husbandry. As for Horus, his time had not yet come. The residents of Lower Egypt prospered under Isis and Osiris' leadership while the upper lands began to dry up. Set became uneasy and jealous of his sister and brother. Why should they claim the fertile valley when we deserve it more? We should be ruling over all of Egypt. Why should they have so much while we are left with nothing? He said to his wife, Nephthys. Please, Set, do not interfere. This can only lead to destruction and heartbreak, she responded, her prophetic vision clear and unwavering. She fell into great sorrow, already knowing Set would act rashly despite her advice. Set devised a plan. He built a large box to the exact measurements of Osiris's height and girth. Then he waited until Isis was traveling and away from home teaching women about midwifery. He paid a visit to his brother and told him his plans to host a great party in Osiris's honor. It was a glorious event with great food, wine, music, and dancing. Set presented the box before the party guests who all oohed and awed at the beautiful and intricate craftsmanship. The wooden box was inlaid with gold etchings of the gods and contained jewels of lapis lazuli, ruby, and green tourmaline. I offer you, my esteemed guests, a challenge, Set said. To Anyone whose body fits this box completely, it is my gift to you. All the party guests jumped at the challenge. They lined up to lay within the box. None of them fit, 
The box was far too large for a mortal until it was Osiris's turn. And wouldn't you know it, he fit perfectly. But as Osiris lay within the box, 72 of Set's co-conspirators rushed in, closed shut, and locked the box. Osiris struggled and shouted, but the weight of the jeweled lid was all too great. The 72 conspirators hoisted the box upon their shoulders, pushed aside the screaming party guests, and carried that box down the hill and heaved it into the great green river. It sank to the bottom and then slowly began to be carried downstream. When the news of Osiris's murder met Isis, she burst into holy grief and rage. She pulled at her hair and tore it off in huge chunks. She scooped handful and handful of sand and poured it over her head. She screamed and cried rivers of tears into the Nile waters. She dressed in black rags and set out along the Nile in search of her husband's coffin. Like a madwoman, she wandered day after day, weeks upon weeks alone. She moaned, she cried, and she covered herself with sand as she wandered and searched. Village people screamed when they saw her and shouted at her to leave and stay clear of their children. They had no idea that the wrecked wanderer before them was their great mother goddess in disguise. She slept alone in the desert, shivering and cold, surrounded by scorpions, but it did not matter. All that mattered was that she find her love. Have you seen him? Have you seen my beloved Osiris, the other half of my soul? She asked passing village people, who in turn hurried past her. One day, a large white cow stuck its head out from a thicket of papyrus and beckoned Isis to follow her. She led Isis to a group of girls playing with a coffin. Look, it is Mother Isis, they proclaimed. They recognized their goddess immediately. We have seen your husband, they said, but we could not catch him. These budding priestesses pointed Isis in the right direction, and Isis made haste. At every village, she asked the children who knew and recognized her, and they pointed the way. After many moons, Isis' search came upon a great tamarisk tree in the land of Syria. The village children said that when the coffin hit the shore— a tree suddenly grew and enclosed the coffin in its roots. Isis threw herself onto the great roots of the tree and embraced its trunk. Because it was so thick, she could not reach her arms around it. Come out, come out, dear husband, she pleaded and cried. She lay there helpless for many days. Osiris could hear his wife's pleas, but could do nothing, trapped inside the tree. 
Then a Syrian king passed by, and taken by the immense majesty of the tree, decided to cut it down and place it as a pillar within his palace. No, Isis pleaded, you cannot. My husband, the great god Osiris, perishes within the trunk of this tree. We must free him. The king ignored the cries of a crazy woman and ordered it be chopped down. Its branches and roots removed and the trunk transported to his palace. Isis followed along, staying close by playing the role of a servant, working herself into the good graces of the king's wife, Queen Astarte. For many months, she cared for the queen's children. Isis nursed herself back to health by surrounding herself with the love of children who followed her wherever she went. They were the only ones that knew she was a goddess in disguise. One day, while working a spell to help the queen's son, Astarte happened upon Isis, and by accident, the goddess's true nature was revealed in all her magical glory. Isis pleaded with Astarte, My queen, you have been so kind. You have restored me to myself, where before I only knew sorrow. I am the goddess Isis. Please return my husband to me. Astarte agreed and ordered the column be cut open to remove the coffin of Osiris. When at last the bejeweled box was removed and lay before Isis, she threw herself upon it and cried tears of great anguish and despair. Isis took the coffin with her beloved in a small boat and rowed it up the river until the river dried and she could go no further. She then took her beloved into a cave and pried open the coffin until her hands were ruined and bloody. Through her tears and grief, she worked magic over her husband's body. She anointed him with holy, fragrant oils. She cut off locks of hair and placed them around him. She danced, chanted, and sang. She spun around and around, keening and laughing in great ecstatic expressions of love. The heavens responded, As she cried passionately, lightning struck outside the cave and Osiris's body became animate once more. Together, they made love. While a huge storm raged outside, they made great, sorrowful, passionate love within the darkness of a cave a long way from home. Afterwards, Isis collapsed in exhaustion. How tired she was after months and months of mourning and searching. She went to sleep next to the coffin of Osiris with a light beginning to swell within her belly. She carried the offspring of Osiris within her womb. Isis woke 
long after dawn to find her husband's body gone, stolen again. Unbeknownst to her, Set had spied her boat drifting down the dry stream valleys of the desert and followed them. He waited for the opportunity when Isis was asleep. Creeping into the cave, he found a fragrant Osiris in his casket with the lid open in a deep dream state. He and his minions closed the lid and carried it away. They dragged the coffin to where the river ran freely, set open the lid, and spoke into Osiris's sleeping ears. Sleep eternal, my brother. Fear me now, for I am set death itself, the heir of Egypt. At that, Osiris opened his eyes and uttered one final cry to his beloved, Isis, come to me! At that moment, Isis awoke. But it was too late. Set plunged his obsidian knife into the chest of Osiris and then slashed the knife across his body over and over again, cutting him to pieces, disassembling him, dismembering him, and scattered the pieces of Osiris into the river. The Nile ran red as Isis approached it. She knew her beloved had been destroyed once more, and Nephthys knew it too. When she saw the moon turn blood red, she made haste to her sister's side, and they grieved together for their one brother's death and their other brother's ceaseless rage. Word of Osiris' death began to spread amongst the gods. The jackal god Anubis came to Isis and Nephthys' side and began to search the waters for the lost remnants of Osiris. Meanwhile, Isis and Nephthys cut off their hair, tore at their clothing, covered their bodies in sand, and wailed and screamed their grief by the side of the river. The local villagers looked on and soon learned of their great god's death. And the women likewise cut off their hair, tore their clothing into rags, covered themselves in sand, and wailed in grief. Soon word caught on to all the villages of Upper and Lower Egypt. A great outpouring of grief took over the land. Anubis, Isis, and Nephthys searched and searched, and at last Anubis retrieved Osiris's severed head from the river and wrapped it in a torn piece of linen soaked in fragrant oils. This inspired Isis to build a monument by the river in Osiris' honor. Piece by piece, they retrieved the fragments of Osiris' body and began to reassemble him, as a great temple was built all around him with stones that reached towards heaven. Isis began to teach the villagers her magic, to revive Osiris within their hearts so that he may live again and again through them. The villagers adorned the temple with lotus flowers and onions, and Isis set off down the river in search for the final fragments 
of her husband. For 28 days, they searched and retrieved the final fragments of Osiris. And with each fragment, Isis burst into joy, followed by great cries of sorrow. He lives! No, he lives not. My beloved is dead. They gathered all the pieces but one. The final fragment, the phallus of Osiris, had been eaten by a fish. And so in secret, Isis, Nephthys, and Anubis gathered. For Seth's minions were always near and watching. Isis fashioned a phallus out of gold and cedar wood. Over this, she spoke words of power that Osiris would remember himself in the next life and would create goodness and beauty throughout all of Egypt. Anubis assembled Osiris' body while Nephthys wrapped it tightly in linens and oils. Together they placed him in his tomb in the temple of his honor. The ground shook, the heavens stirred, Newt, mother of Osiris, wrapped her cosmic arms around her child. She spoke, Osiris lives! He did not die! Isis and Nephthys opened their arms to the heavens in gratitude and celebration. They sang the songs of change, of eternity, of rebirth. They spread their arms as they transformed into wings, and two sisters flew through the sky of their mother as golden hawks. Newt gathered Osiris' soul and brought it to her into the heavens. His father Jeb took his mortal body into his belly. And Osiris awoke in the empty void of Atom. All was darkness. All had no form. Great creator of all, where am I? Osiris spoke. Be still, for where you are, there is no time, no light, no water, No air, only emptiness, Adam responded. I long for light, Osiris said. Light returns to Egypt, eternal light. That place now belongs to your son. Horus will become the warrior of light, a god twice born, once in heaven, and a second time on earth. Osiris wept, for he had born a son. His love reached through the veils of dimensions, matter, and time, where he saw his wife Isis swollen in the belly. She felt his love, like a string pulling at her heart, pulling her deep into a hidden cave of her own being. And there, 
the two lovers met in a place beyond time, beyond light, sound, or breath. Their hearts became as one, and their love grew ever more strong. As Horace's body took form within his mother's womb. Oh, didn't I mention that I wasn't going to tell you the whole story today? (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. You'll have to wait until the next episode to see how this epic turns out. Or, you know, if you really can't wait, go get the book. I feel like this story could be retitled The Power of a Grieving Goddess. This timeless arc, a love story retold and repurposed many times over from Persephone and Hades to Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Yep, the similarities are just too obvious to overlook. This story is as much about grief and letting go as it is about love, which begs the question, are they the same thing? To love is to sacrifice. To love isn't to risk sacrifice, but rather to love is to enter into a promise with sacrifice, a promise with death. By being willing to love, by opening our hearts to someone or something so fully, we are also letting go of something. What a profound paradox, right? I mean, wow. There's a short passage from the book Awakening Osiris by Normandy Ellis that I'd like to read because it captures this idea so succinctly. This book is a translation of the Egyptian Book of the Dead and contains much of the Isis and Osiris epic. Okay, here goes. There is no creation without destruction. To make the pot to carry water, the river must give up its clay. To make his child, the father must give up his seed. To make love, one gives up the self. Creation is death. Sex is death. All the ways of making are sacrifice. So bit by bit, those who create murder themselves, use themselves up, give labor their love. Let's go back to the beginning of the story, shall we? First of all, it is important to recognize that all five of the gods, including Set, who we might label as quote-unquote evil, were born from the womb of heaven. They are all parts of a whole. Set may represent the darker aspects of our being, but he is still a divine part of us. What we might label as evil, we can reframe as the trickster, the divine messer-upper who hoists us into our destiny in unpleasant but necessary ways. The lives of all five gods are destined. Osiris was destined to become god of the underworld and bring holiness to the cycle of life 
death, and rebirth. Isis and Osiris were destined for great love on the earthly plane and then to deepen and expand that love by allowing it to transcend the earthly physical plane altogether. They are here to teach us that love, once we make that sacrifice, is eternal. Isis was destined to sacrifice Osiris so that she could transform her grief into a way for all of Egypt to forever honor their own grief and transcend death. Isis's grief passage takes up the majority of this section. I mean, this goddess grieves hard. She pulls out her hair, she rips her clothes, she covers herself in mud, not once, not twice, I think at least three or four times in this story. We live within a society where the dominant culture has forgotten how to properly grieve, or perhaps doesn't want us to because grieving isn't good for being, quote unquote, productive. For me, it is so refreshing to witness Isis, this great mother goddess, giving herself over to her anguish. Not trying to pull herself together or act strong or pretend everything is okay and be polite in front of strangers. She literally does not give any fucks. And she will not stop grieving until she is done. I love also how you see her grieving in stages. There are waves of grief and letting go, layers she and thus we must go through. At first, Isis believes she can bring her beloved back. And so with all her might, she tries. She won't let him go. What is interesting here is that through her refusal to let Osiris go, she does bring him back for a brief moment. And in that moment, they conceive Horus, the great destined king that will unify Egypt. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there. That's in the second part of the story. The story shows how the grieving process includes refusing to let go. And also through our grief, we create magic. We weave our destiny without even knowing it. Imagine yourself losing something or someone dear to you and going through a period of massive denial or bargaining, both stages in the grieving process. And then someone says to you, you know, this isn't healthy. You need to let them go. And you're like, fuck that. No, I'm holding on. And maybe people look at you like you're this super sad person that can't let go. But in actuality, maybe you were meant to hang on in those phases of denial and bargaining or even anger for as long as it takes because, unbeknownst to you, behind the veil of consciousness, you are creating something truly magical from the grief. Something is alchemizing and cooking inside you and it needs the heat of your grief to come into being. And whatever it is, It's your destiny. We step into our destiny, our soul's greater purpose for coming into physical form when we are willing to let go and sacrifice. From a human perspective, 
This can be the most painful initiations of our lives. From our soul's perspective, we are now truly living. It's another profound paradox. Isis begins to let Osiris go as she builds a temple in his honor, when she brings the community together to celebrate him. Her love for Osiris enters everyone's hearts and everyone begins to feel the love that they shared between them. This is when Isis begins to step into a new form of love. Her own personal love and grief becomes much bigger than her, a powerful force and a gift for the community. As Isis is made whole again through community and sisterly love, she weaves and speaks the spell that writes Osiris's destiny in the form of the golden phallus and the words of power. Her love here begins to transform and expand to even greater heights. This is perhaps Isis's greatest offering to bless Osiris with the promise of new life and of beauty and goodness in it. This gift couldn't be made until she was ready to let him go. Isis then returns Osiris back to the great mother and father and through the veils and across dimensions, they reach one another. They are finally reunited. Through Isis's willingness to sacrifice and let go, she reaches a new kind of love that is eternal. This transcendent, eternal love can only be experienced when we are willing to sacrifice what we hold onto the most. So, (laughs) why would we want to? I mean, is it worth it? Is this kind of love that great? It's an important question to ask. And I think this comes down to a willingness from a human perspective to give up the reins of ego control and allow our souls to steer us. It is also a willingness to trust, a willingness to adapt, a willingness to heal, move on, and be reborn through our grief, a willingness to allow grief to change us. I don't think any of us are going to go out looking for sacrifice of this heart-shattering nature. We never consciously choose heartbreak. But once our hearts are broken, then what? And that's where the power of this story lives. The then what part of our journeys, where inevitably our lives take a turn beyond our control. The story of Isis and Osiris, or the power of a grieving goddess, like I like to call it, acts as a blueprint for transformation and rebirth through death and love. It is a map for us to follow when we face what feels like the worst possible outcome. It gives us hope of life beyond death, of love beyond death, of a life and a love that transcends everything we knew before, of a love that takes us to heights and depths beyond what we could prior imagine. And also, the sacrifices love asks us to make 
don't have to be so catastrophic. Think of the sacrifices all parents make in order to care and provide for their children. Think about the sacrifices one would make when shifting careers or going back to school. Any big life change when made for the sake of love requires some form of sacrifice. We have to let go to make room for what is coming in. I often contemplate the parts of myself that I have sacrificed for the sake of growth and maturity. Letting go of younger versions of me with their accompanying lifestyles, beliefs, and wardrobe choices. And there is yet another form of sacrifice, more subtle than the rest. For every compassionate gesture we make, for every truth we speak, for every time we allow ourselves to feel moved by music, nature, or another's voice, we give a tiny piece of ourselves away because we let the world around us inside. We make room within the chamber of our being so that we can be impacted, changed by love. We give ourselves away, as the quote from Awakening Osiris told us, so that by the end of our lives, we are used up. We have given all that we can give. We have experienced all that we can experience. We have lived a full life. I don't know about you, but on my deathbed, I pray that I feel used up by a life lived fully, generously, and lovingly. That's part one of this Egyptian epic. We'll be back next month for the second half of the story as Isis gives birth to Horus and we journey to the Emerald Ray of Reciprocity. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest with me, Charlotte Alea. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.